recording device. There we go. All right, well, uh, good afternoon for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm Sean. I'm the associate pastor at 116 Bible Church in Watauga, which is in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area of Texas. But I was actually born and raised here in the great state of Oklahoma. Uh, so this is kind of a homecoming. I like it. <laughs> but uh, it is my honor and my privilege to get to be with um, the saints of our sister church up here. And I'm very happy, very pleased to be with you. Um, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, and we'll actually be beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. I told somebody that I was going to be uh, preaching on Matthew 8 uh, today, and they immediately jumped to, um, oh, Jesus called the storm. I was like, close. It's right before <laughs> So right before Jesus called the storm. Uh, so Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, we're going to read through verse 22. If you have found it, and if you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, that is Matthew chapter 8. Beginning in verse 18. And the word of God says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne this morning. Lord, just in awe of who you are. Father, humbled by the truth in the songs that we have sung and the words that have been read and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, this morning we pray that by your Spirit you would humble your servants today. Lord, that you would bring to us the truth of your word as you have provided it, preserved it, and even had it translated for us into a language we can understand. Because this is your word. And we pray that we would treat it as your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so if you have not heard me preach before, I like to do a little context. I like to get a little background. I like to know, okay, we read what we read now. Where are we in the story? In the big story, what's going on? So, we're in the book of Matthew, so clearly we are in the lifetime of Jesus of Nazareth, um, the Son of God. Um, and as he refers to himself here, the Son of Man. Um, so it is during his life and ministry uh, here on earth while he's dwelling among his people 
Uh, and we actually see uh, he's actually in the middle of his Galilean ministry. So he's in the in the midst of um, working and or preaching, proclaiming, teaching, doing miracles um, in the Galilee uh, area. And we actually see before this passage, uh, we see some pretty amazing things going on where uh, Jesus um, does some healings in the area of Capernaum, um, which is a big court town in, uh, in, the, Gats, in the region of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, uh, also known as the Lake of Tiberias. Um, but so that's where he is. That's what he's doing. He just got to teaching in Capernaum and doing some miracles. There's some healings. Um, he healed a leper. Um, he healed uh, he healed uh, a centurion servant. He healed even um, the Peter's mother-in-law. So uh, had some good healings going on here. Um, and then all of a sudden, and when Jesus comes to town and he's doing some pretty big things that people can see. Uh, well, that tends to draw a crowd. Um, so as he is doing these healings, as he is um, performing these miracles, and between these miracles teaching, uh, you know, trying, trying to give them you know, the bread of life as he is, you know, between these outward signs, um, these crowds are drawing uh, around him. And we see here in verse 18 as that when he saw the crowds around him, he gave orders, um, your translation may say, commands or commandment to depart to the other side of the sea. So in this town, in this big port town, uh, on the Lake of Galilee, uh, or the Lake of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum, as these crowds drawing around, Jesus says, okay, time to head across to uh, the other shore. So um, during that process, what do we see here? Jesus is showing us not just in this verse, but in this whole passage that we read, he's showing us a little something about what the title of today's message is, Counting the Cost. Count the Cost of Discipleship. And we see here, first thing, right out of the gate, it doesn't seem like he's, he's teaching us something about discipleship, but he is. He's saying it's not about being popular. It's not about drawing crowds. It's not about, it's not numbers oriented. One of my favorite things about, about biblical success is that it's not measured. It's not weighed by numbers. Biblical success is not numbers oriented. It's gospel faithfulness. It is our faithfulness to the message, to the gospel, to the word of God. And Jesus here is showing his disciples these crowds it's exciting, but it's not what it's about. It's not about drawing a crowd. It's about being faithful to the message and going where we are commanded. And so Jesus says, as the crowd draws around them, gives orders that they are to board a boat and go to the other side of the, or go to the other shore. And as they are in the process, uh, you know, before they can get on the boat and head across that, that sea, that lake, a scribe, your translation may say, teacher of the law, that's perfectly fine, a scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds nice. That sounds, that sounds like this guy is the kind of guy you want to have. He's, he's come, he comes up, he's gung-ho, he says, teacher, this is a, a this is a, a title of respect. 
He's calling teacher, rabbi. I will follow you wherever you go. So as he comes up, we're seeing a posture of humility on the part of the scribe. And as a scribe, remember this is one of the three big uh, religious professions at the time. So you had you had scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, and the, the scribes were the official, essentially the official interpreters of the law, what we know as the Old Testament. And in what seems like a very stunning and abrupt break from all of the other scribes in the neighborhood who uh, don't want anything to do with Jesus um, because, well, he's, he's, he's working some strange things to our ears and he's interpreting the law in ways we don't really like. This one scribe comes up and he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And so it sounds like this man is willing to sacrifice a lot. He's, it sounds like he's willing to sacrifice his reputation. It sounds like he's willing to sacrifice maybe even his position, his job in the community for the sake of following Jesus. But what does Jesus say in response? Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so now we see something very clear about the cost of following Jesus. While it seems like this, this man, this scribe, this respected religious and community leader is ready to sacrifice it all, Jesus seemingly reveals his, his heart and where it really is by telling him how much it actually costs. So here we see we see the first explicit lesson that Jesus is saying the cost of discipleship is expensive. Now make no mistake. It is true that in the Christian life we gain far more than we could ever possibly lose. But on the other side of conversion on the fallen side, pre-conversion, and the, the loss and unregenerate human, that cost seems impossible to pay. It seems too expensive. And Jesus here reveals the man's heart by stating simply, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is he saying? So he's saying that despite what this man may even believe in his heart at that moment, that he is willing to pay. Jesus is saying, the cost is far more than, than you're even considering in your mind. It's not just your reputation. It's not just your job. Jesus is saying, as my, according to my call, the reason why I have come and how I have come is not to make a place for you here, but I have left my home to be a stranger and a sojourner in this land and my disciples 
capitalized. It's not just the cost isn't just what people might say, what people might think. Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. This place you considered your home will no longer be your home. You will become a stranger, an alien in a land that not only has become unfamiliar to you, not only has become foreign to you, but where people want you gone. That's the cost. The cost of discipleship is expensive. And it is it is it costs us more because because discipleship itself following Jesus isn't simply isn't simply a, a new way of life. It's not simply uh, something you could tack on to your to your current lifestyle and just treat it as a plus one or an add-on or an extension. The cost of discipleship, the cost of following Christ is expensive to the point of it being absolute. The cost of discipleship is a complete transformation of, of us as people, as individuals. Because I mean, why else did he come here except to not just recruit people, not just to not just to recruit a gathering around himself? That's what he wanted. Why is he giving the order to the heart when these crowds are gathering around him? Why? Why is he? If that's what he's looking for, why is he giving the order to go somewhere else where these crowds aren't? Because it's not about. It's about, it's not just about recruiting a, a, an army. It's not just about drafting or, or bringing on students and the more the merrier. It's about making people, making followers, making family out of his enemies. And these crowds who are here for the show. The crowds who are there for miracles. The crowds who are there because, well, I heard be fed 5,000 people with just a couple of fish and some bread. The crowds that are here because my daughter's sick. And the healers can't do anything for her. The crowd that is there because I've been struggling with the ailment for 12 years. And I've dumped down in every doctor I've ever come across. And I don't know what else to do. These crowds who are just here to get, rather than to be, those aren't who's after. He's after the ones whose hearts he's changing. So we see here. So we see it, someone who seemingly is willing to risk it all. And Jesus shows him just how little he's actually willing to risk. Even if he's willing to, even if he's willing to risk the things he appears to be willing to risk. Jesus says the cost is so much more than that. That what you think you're willing to pay 
the cost of association more. And also here we, we see a, a reference to Jesus, to Jesus' life as a what we call an itinerant preacher or a, or a pedagogical rabbi. He, he didn't stay in one place very long. He got walked. I mean, we, we have in the Gospels um, the, the three synoptics and John, we, we see, you know, no place of different words for connect reasons. We see essentially what was three trips back and forth between the Galilee area and the Jerusalem area. Um, I mean, and that was his ministry. That was, that was the ministry of Christ. He was traveling back and forth everywhere in the same one place too long. So Jesus is not just preaching this with his words and, and using it in a in the spiritual truth that there is a great cross, but he's showing it with his life. Even before he gets to the cross, we see with his very life the way he's living, the way he's teaching, the way he is continuing to go from town to town. Yes, providing miracles, but also preaching the truth, the truth of the gospel, what the cost looks like. Showing that his disciples are sojourners in a strange land. And the Son of Man, that was probably, that was not probably, that was Jesus' favorite title for himself. This is actually the first time we see it. So this is kind of exciting. This is, this, this, this is new. We're, we're, like, we're experiencing with the crowds. Like, what are you talking about? And this, this title, is used in a few different ways, but I think here we see two chief reasons why why Christ is referring to himself as the Son of Man. Number one, we see we see it exemplifies it, it describes the humility of Jesus and his willingness to condescend to our position and to take on himself the likeness of man. But in another very real way, he doesn't refer to himself as a son of man, which would just be a human person. He refers to himself as the son of man, which most explicitly goes back to Daniel 7, where it talks about the one like the son of man, who is essentially granted dominion and authority by the ancient of days of the Father. But also, in my humble opinion, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3 where we see the promise of the offspring that will come to crush the head of the serpent. So this, this title, Son of Man, has deep religious theological significance to it. And Jesus here, for the first time, using this for himself. And that was probably a little shocking uh, to to the listeners because I mean the son of man. You, you mean you mean the Ezekiel son of man who's just a person or you mean the Daniel son of man who's clearly a little more or a lot more. Um, and the answer is yes, both okay. um, so we see here in this in this uh, title for himself not just not just his humility but also his exaltation, his fulfillment of prophecies for centuries, dating back to Genesis 3. And then, 
So after this first one, after this first encounter with the scribe who seems like he's willing to risk it all, but really isn't, doesn't understand that the actual weight of the cost, we then go to another one, another encounter, where another disciple comes up to him and says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, in 21st century America, that doesn't sound like a big deal. But, hey, Jesus, we just have death in the family. Let me go. We got, I, I got fish put a funeral together, and then I'll be ready to go. Give me like three, four days tops, and we'll be ready to go. Uh, no, this, uh, this phrase, um, uh, go and marry my father, was probably, and I think we can have some confidence in this, a uh, polite way of saying, um, let me wait for my dad to die so I get my inheritance, and then I can afford to go with you. And, wow. Um, Yeah, so probably some of that, and and there was probably a couple of other dimensions to that, uh, because, I mean, the life of... uh, of a student following an itinerant rabbi, particularly one um, who looks like Jesus and is saying a lot of things that a lot of your um, more traditional Jewish rabbis kind of uh, are surprised and offended at. Um, Father probably wouldn't look too highly on this. Um, So this man appears to be trying to save his reputation among his family and among his community. He said, Jesus, look, let me come follow you, happy to do it. But first, we went to my dad passes. And, and the reason why his dad probably hadn't already passed is that if he had, um, the man probably wouldn't be out listening to an itinerant preacher. He would probably be at home in the morning process uh, during this during this time. So so this, so this guy who is called a disciple, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to call him Jesus teacher. He comes up calling him what? Lord. Saying, Lord, first let me go there with my father. And then the mom goes, let me, let me, let me wait to, for my dad to pass, for, for my parents to kick in, and then I'm all yours, Jesus. Happy to follow you. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and I'll have the dead to bury their own dead. So first we see that the cost the cost of discipleship is expensive. Though we gain far more than we could ever lose, there is still a cost. Now we see that the cost to be paid isn't just expensive, but for those who are called. It is expected. It's not optional. The cost isn't isn't a box to check for personal preferences. It's like I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. I don't really want to do that. No. The cost is expected, and the cost is expected to such a degree that ties to family, expectations in your community, 
in your household expectations, in your religious and political system, whatever they are, whatever those standards are, whatever those obligations may be, they come second to obedience to Christ. They have to come second. I used to put it this way, God is so big that he's either at the top of the list or he's not on the list. Because the only space big enough for him is at the top. So here Jesus is saying, if you can't pay the cost, then you're not one of my disciples. If, if obedience to me doesn't come first, then you are coming to me in the final day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not healed the sick in your name? Have we not fed the hungry in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. You were presumably what he had never knew. If the cost is so insurmountable, seems so impossible that we're not willing to pay it, it doesn't matter what we call ourselves. It doesn't matter if we call ourselves Christian. It doesn't matter if we call ourselves Protestant. It doesn't matter if we call ourselves evangelical. It doesn't matter if we call ourselves Baptist doesn't matter if we call ourselves reformed. If we're unwilling to pay the cost, if we love the world and the systems of the world more than we love Christ, and we're only willing to obey when it's convenient or when these other expectations or obligations allow, that he doesn't know us. And we don't know him. And so in this process, Jesus says something very striking. He says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, I think there's a couple of things going on here. I think first, and the most obvious is um, Jesus is using some pretty graphic, striking language to drag the point out. He's saying, follow me and let, let the dead bury the dead. Your obligation, you have a greater duty to the living than you have to the dead. He's also saying, I think making a not so veiled observation. Uh, diagnosis of the life uh, and the state of the people. You follow me because you have been born again. And you let those who are still spiritually dead take care of these earthly matters. This is the cost. It's not about crowds. It is expensive and it is expected. This is the cost of discipleship. And as Christians in the 21st century, 
in America. The cost has not changed. If anything, we're finally we're getting to a place where we are finally beginning to come to terms with the fact that there actually might be a cost. And in this moment, in this time that seems so far removed from first century Judea, Manus said, count the cost. Because if the cost, if you are willing to pay the cost, I promise you, what you get back is infinitely more than you think you're losing. As the Apostle Paul himself said, all of that stuff before. I count as garbage. And as Jesus himself says later, there is not one who will lose father or mother or brothers who will not gain a hundred times more by picking up his cross and following me. So on one side, it seems so impossible. It seems, how could I? How could I possibly? How could I possibly pay that? How could you possibly expect that of me, Lord? But then on the other side, for the Christian, because there's there are going to be times where Christian, where you're just gonna go through it, man. I don't know another way, but you you are gonna be put through the rare. There are going to be times where the persecution or the rejection or the pain is going to feel crushing. And you're going to feel so defeated. And in those moments, Christian, you will cling all the more tightly to Christ. And you will have hit that point to where you can understand the truth that Christ is enough. There are times where we seem to get so comfortable Singing that on Sunday, praying it even throughout the week, hearing it preached from the pulpit, teaching it ourselves. But when we are pressed down, persecuted, and struck down, and we cling tightly to Him, we are reminded. That yes, I'm pressed down. But he's kept me from being crushed. Yes, I'm persecuted, but he's kept he has not abandoned me. 
I've been struck down. But I'm not destroyed. Because my God, my Savior, who Himself was forsaken for me, has not forsaken. So, yes, it's expensive. And yes, it's expected. But the rewards are the rewards. If you can weigh them on a scale, it would be no contest. The cost is worth it. But at the same time, We don't commit too quickly and we don't try to commit our own terms because the cost must still be counted. So my encouragement to you, saints of 116 Bible Church in Oklahoma City is to count the cost. And my friend, you've already counted the cost. Glory in your Savior who is far more and does far more and is worth far more than you've ever given out. And if you are still counting costs, let that be encouraging to you. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, you have blessed us with this time together where we can open your word, where we can read what you have for your people, and be reminded that there is a cost to discipleship. And that you have commanded us to count that cost. You have not called us to blind faith. You have not called us to even an easy life. But to those who you have called in whom we have begun the good work. We believe in you now. You will finish it. Because you are the God of happiness stories. You are God who offers the beginning and the end. So I pray, I pray this morning anyone who has not counted the cost, Lord, open their eyes. Anyone who is counting the cost, Lord, guide them. And those who have counted the cost, comfort them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. guys will stand as we sing.